And on the heels of that, let me just extend uh, a, a grateful heart to you as a church family as well. Uh, you've been very patient and kind and showed a lot of grace as they continue to expand here on our campus. And we're grateful for Hope Academy. And may we never lose sight of the reason why they're here and why we partner with them. And we as a church, we exist to glorify God by making more and better disciples from neighborhoods to nations. And this is one of the, the ministry arms that we have that allows us to reach out to our neighborhoods, to have more than 220 kids, right, that are here on our campus throughout the week that are hearing the Bible, hearing the gospel, the good news of Jesus. And like you heard even in that video, some that are even trusting and believing in him. And so we're excited that they're helping us as a church reach our city, reach our, our, our neighborhoods really well. And we pray that God would even grow up some of these kids to, to go out and, and help impact the nation's for the glory of God. So thank you again for your patience. And when everything gets finished with this building, uh, the leaders of the school will actually be here on that Sunday, and they'll actually take you through there if you want to, so you can kind of see the inside of the building, maybe even take a, a moment to pray over the building that uh, we continue to, to reach and to, to see the gospel go to these kids. And so thank you again. And, and we're continuing through the series this morning on praying the Bible. If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and grab it. Make your way to Colossians. Colossians chapter 1 is where we're going to be. And we've looked at several different passages over this series through the summer, um, but last week we did kind of part one of praying for others. And if you can remember, last week we talked about we should be praying for all people, and then the Bible actually narrowed that down a little bit to talk about praying for our leaders and what it looks like to pray for uh, leaders politically, uh, leaders spiritually, even leaders within uh, our, our school, our education, leaders in, on our sports team, coaches, just praying across the board for different types of leaders, and then we talk through the different ways that we pray for them. Today, there's a little bit of a hinge turn because we're going to do part two of praying for others, but this is going to be more central on praying for the church, and not just in a blanket sense, praying for the church, but actually looking around, praying for one another, considering those that are in our small group and that we're doing life together with, and what God has called you and called me to be praying for them intentionally. Not just things we pull out of our mind or just kind of think of, but Scripture's going to guide us of, of several things that we're going to pray for. So what you're going to find this morning as we walk through this passage, that there's a lot more subpoints than I normally give you. I normally don't even have subpoints with my messages, but under each one of the main points, it's going to be subpoints, but it's ways for you to intentionally pray for others. And then we're going to take time at the end and actually apply this and, and, and pray some of these things uh, silently before the Lord, but for others. So we're going to look at Colossians chapter 1. We'll be in verse 3, and we'll read down to verse 14. So follow along as I read God's word for us. We always thank God. And this is Paul, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writing this, saying he's praying. He's thanking God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Jesus Christ, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up in heaven, of this you have heard before, in the word of truth, the gospel, which has come to you as indeed in the whole world. And it's bearing fruit and increasing, as it also does among you, since the day that you heard it and understood the grace of God and truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. And so... From the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk 
in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to Him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God and being strengthened with all power according to the glorious might of all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the dominion of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of His beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Pray with me this morning. Merciful Lord God, our souls thirst for you. Thirst for you today, whether we even realize it or not. So Lord, I ask that we wouldn't drink of the dry sand of a mirage, but Lord, instead you would, through your word, guide us to living water. That through Christ we would find life and satisfaction that you promise us. Lord, would you give us grace and peace this morning that we would be able to understand your word. Father, make us people of prayer, and not because you need our prayers, but because we need you. We ask that you would bless us with faith and wisdom, understanding as we meditate on your word. And Lord, help us to live it out this week. Now, no matter where you are in your kind of faith journey, whether you've trusted Christ or you've followed him for years or you haven't trusted him yet, would you just be faithful to pray in the silence right now that God would speak to you and help you to live out his word today? Pray that right now. Would you pray also for me as we walk through God's word this morning and we look at this passage that I would glorify the Lord and serve you well this morning. Would you pray for me? Lord Jesus, your word is wonderful. So help us to treasure it in our hearts and then keep it with our lives this week. To the glory of your name, amen. Amen. All right, three things that I want us to see from this prayer that Paul writes through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit for us and then subpoints underneath those to kind of guide us as we pray for one another. And first, I want to challenge us to pray for one another's faith, to pray for one another's faith. You see that in verse 4. He's thanking God. He's praising the Father for the faith that they have. He's heard about their faith. See, Paul hasn't gone to the city of Colossae, but we'll get to this in a minute. There's a man that he shared the gospel with that is believed that has gone and taken the gospel to them. And now word has made it back to, to Paul that they have trusted and placed their faith in Christ Jesus. Now, it's important that Paul writes this. He didn't just say, I thank God always just because you have faith. And in a general sense, or faith that there is some transcendent being that's out there somewhere, he's not thanking them for being deist. He's pausing and he's thanking the Lord for the faith that they have in Christ Jesus. Our faith has to rest in him if our prayers have any hope. If our prayers have any hope, 
If we don't have our faith in Christ, then we'll just end up in despair and our prayers will fall on deaf ears. But because Paul hears their faith is placed not in just some random object, but in Jesus Christ, he's encouraged. He praises the Father because of it. Well, it's so important that we grasp this truth, so important this day in this culture, that it's not faith that saves us. It's faith in Christ Jesus that saves us. It's the object of our faith that saves us. All of us might have like little crumbs of faith in our life, but it's not those crumbs of faith that save us. You came into church today and you had some semblance of faith that you sat down in a chair for that chair to hold you, right? You're sitting in it right now. That's a small crumb of faith. But it's not faith that saves because the object of your faith is in that chair. And Paul is saying, I'm praying for the church I'm excited for the church because their faith rests in something that is firm. Their faith rests in Christ Jesus. And this is so important to understand this because talk about praying and praying for one another's faith. Sometimes we need to be praying that people would come to faith. You see, faith precedes fruit. And sometimes we get that backwards. Sometimes we try to to have fruit in our lives and do good works and be good moral people and then let faith follow. And that's not biblically how it works. In a very theological way of saying it, we are first justified, then we're sanctified. God saves us, makes us just as we had not sinned because of his death and his resurrection. And now we have sanctification where he's working on us and chiseling the sin out of us and making us look more like him. And so... If you're here today and you've never placed your faith in Christ, then I would start right here, that you would pray and place your faith, not in just some random God, but in Christ Jesus, the one true God. If you haven't put your faith in Christ Jesus, we're not here today. This message is not trying to teach you how to play a game, especially if you're not even on the team. And so if you haven't placed your faith in, in team Christ and are following him, then do that right now. That needs to be your prayer today. Now, for those of us that have trusted in Christ, like the people here in Colossae, Paul is now going to talk about he's thanking God and praying for them as they live out their faith. Because remember, faith has action. Faith is lived out. And he prays three things for them. One, he prays that they would have a faith that loves. A faith that loves. If you look in verse 4 again, it says, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, what does it say? And of the love that you have for all the saints. This faith in Christ has led them to love other believers. This word for saints, I'm not sure what your background is, but this is not talking about like heroes of the faith that we kind of hope in, right? That's not what we do, right? We only hope in Jesus and Him alone. The saints that it's talking about right here are fellow believers, who are holy just because of what Christ has done in their place. And it's like you have a faith that loves one another. Now, it can be really easy for us to read a passage like this and to make it so general or so generic that it doesn't apply to us at all. We can say, well, yeah, love for all the saints. So I just like love all the saints. Yeah, we're good. But I think there's something more specific that's happening here. He's writing to a local church, the church in Colossae. And he's encouraging them for how they have loved one another. 
The only way that we're going to love each other well as a church, as a local body of believers, is to do life together. Real life change happens in circles, and it's not best in rows. And so if the only thing you ever do is to come in here, and then you hear this, and you go and leave, it's going to be really, really hard for you to love the saints. It's going to be really hard for you to, to know people's pains and their struggles, to be able to pray for them and to care for them. But Paul is saying right here, that's what he's encouraged by. That's what we should be praying for one another, that we would love in such a way that we'd care for each other. One of the best ways that you can do that here at West Bears Church is through our small groups. Small groups are about to start back in a week or a week and a half. And so if you're not connected to a small group, then this is the time for you to, to lean in with this as your, your heartbeat. Because I want to have this faith that loves and loves other believers. And what's great is the way God designed his church, it's not a one-lane road where we're saying you just go in and you pour out and you just love other people. No, it's a two-lane road that when you have struggles and you have battles and you have pain, that they would love you as well and lean in. And the one word of encouragement or affirmation I would give you as you think about this, especially in light of small groups, I've said this several times because as a small group pastor for a year, I saw this, that one of the greatest lies or one of the greatest enemies of building deep community, to building a faith that loves, is idealism. Where you expect the first time you visit a small group that you're going to find your best friend and you're going to, you know, my buddy and me, we're going to swing and hold hands together and we're going to be best friends for life. Like, the best relationships that you have, if you really think about it, are ones that grew over time. Ones that lived this faith that loved in low seasons and celebrated together in high seasons. And that doesn't happen in one week or even in one month. It takes time. And so do not let the, the live idealism settle in as you think about this type of prayer. No, pray for yourself and also pray for, for others that we would have a faith that loves. A faith that loves. But not just a faith that loves. We should also be praying for another, one another that we have a faith that hopes. Do you see that in verse 5? He says that, he says that because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. See, once again, this faith has action. This faith in Jesus Christ responds in love, but it's based on this hope that we have. This hope in what lies ahead of us. This is a hope of eternity and heaven. This is so important. That we have a hope in front of us. No matter how hard or how difficult times get now, we know the promise of what lies ahead. And it doesn't matter how much we build up heaven in our minds. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you, we're underrating it. We're underrating how beautiful, how glorious it will be. And this is where our hope rests. See, we pray for one another. We pray for one another that we would have hope in this coming peace. This coming peace that we will have that will be without trouble. The ease that we will experience without pain. The glory that we will have without end with the Lord. I mean, imagine the beauty that we're going to experience, the beauty of a sunlight of glory that shall rise over our soul and never set the peace of spring that will be there and will never have an autumn. This is a truth that helps us to endure the pain and the suffering and the brokenness that we have in this world. 
to many of you can think of people in your small group, other believers that are going through extreme difficulty and pain and loss. And you should be praying that God would remind them of the hope that awaits them. That their faith would be centered deeply on this hope so that they can endure well. This kind of endurance of hope resting in eternity will help us live faithfully today. Although we would pray in this way. But not just pray that we would have a faith that loves or a faith that hopes, but, but pray that we would have a faith that multiplies. We'd have a faith that increases. You find in verse 6 two different words that kind of highlight this, this picture of multiplication. He says, you know, in this, this whole world that's bearing fruit, the gospel is bearing fruit and it is increasing. God desires for us to have a faith in that way. Paul is praying and thanking the Lord above that their faith doesn't end with them. Their faith is not a cul-de-sac. Their faith is a conduit in which the, the gospel is streaming forward and going forth. They're bearing fruit. They're increasing. And we should be praying for each other the same way. People that come to our mind that we should be praying, God, let them share their faith today. Let them live out their faith. Help me to do the same. Help me to live out my faith, that it would increase and it would multiply, that it would bear fruit in our lives. You see, this language that's, that's used right here, that, that kind of bearing fruit and increasing, all the commentators point back to the same thing. This is like, Language taken from the Old Testament, in the very beginning of the Bible in Genesis. The first command that God ever gave humanity, Adam and Eve, was a good command. All his commands are good, but this is a great first commandment. To be fruitful and multiply. That Adam and Eve would have kids, who would have kids, who would have kids, and would fill the earth. And this is the image that Paul is thinking about as he writes this, that we our faith would, would share the gospel and see somebody come to faith, and they would share the gospel and see somebody come to faith, and they'd share the gospel, and it would just continue to spread in spider web through all the earth. It even says in verse 6, in the whole world. This is how our faith should be cre- increasing. This is what should be coming to our mind. And Paul uses a very practical illustration of this and how this church started. In the church of, of Colossae, he says, I shared this go- the gospel with this guy, Epaphras. And now he's come back to us as he's taking the gospel to you, and he's telling us what's going on in your church. <laughs> Do you see the, the, the chain of, of how this is expanding? <laughs> Paul believes in Jesus Christ. He shares that faith with others. Epaphras is one of those. He believes. He goes and he takes the gospel to Colossae, and he shares the good news with them. And they are believing. And now Paul's saying, and you guys in the church, now you are sharing it, and it's multiplying there too. This is what we should be praying for each other. And how often, or have you ever prayed for other believers that they would faithfully sow seeds of the gospel and to share the good news? I mean, are you even praying for yourself that God would give you boldness? God would give you an opportunity to share and that you have wisdom as you do share. It's so important that we, that we see that Paul doesn't write and say, I'm so thankful for the church in Colossae and the giant event that they did. And because of this giant event, all these people believed. Now, there were big events that happened and there were people that believed. Pentecost is one of those in the Bible. But what Paul says here that he's praying for is that individuals would be faithful to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. The individuals would be faithful to 
to share and proclaim their faith in Jesus Christ to others. This is good news that we have to share with others. So may we pray for one another's faith. May we be intentional to to journal this and write this down and think about people in our small group. Think about other believers in our lives, in our workplace, that we can be praying these things for. God is calling us to pray for one another. But not just to pray for one another's faith. He's also going to pray in this passage for one another's growth. That we would grow through our faith. And there's three words that you can find in verses 9 through 11. You can circle this. But it's knowledge, understanding, and wisdom. Paul is praying. Now they've heard of their faith and how it's increasing, how it's expanding. In verse 9, he said, since we've heard of that good news, that you're spreading the good news, we're asking that you would be filled. Filled with what? Knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and in understanding. That's what he's asking for. That they would be filled and they would grow in this truth. And all of this, all of this truth, this knowledge, this understanding, this wisdom is bound up in Christ. It's bound up in Christ. Later on, Paul's going to say in the very next chapter, he's going to say, in Christ are hidden all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. It's all found in Christ. That was important at this time in Colossae because there were groups of people that were out there teaching, you know, God is good, like this Jesus is good, but you need this deeper hidden knowledge, you need this hidden wisdom, you need this hidden understanding to be filled to this fullness of knowledge. And Paul is kind of combating that. He's like, no, 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 they got it wrong. These, These Gnostics, they're missing the point. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God, Jesus Christ, His will. All spiritual wisdom found in Him. It's all in Christ. See, what we can be tempted to do today is thinking, well, I've come to faith in Jesus, and now I need something more. I need, it, I need to be kind of adding to all these different theological categories in order to be filled up with all that I need. So, Jesus, thanks for saving me. Now I need something more. But we don't outgrow Christ. We grow in Him. We don't grow outside of Christ. We grow with Him. That's why he's so big on hitting in chapter 2. In Christ are hidden all the treasures and all the wisdom of knowledge. It's all in Christ. He is all that we need. And so we pray as we grow that we would grow in Christ, in the knowledge of his will. The knowledge of his will. Now, these three words, kind of knowledge, understanding, wisdom. I don't know about you, but like when I read it this week, these are like really like Bible-y, that seems like Bible-y words, right? Like what does this even mean? knowledge and understanding and wisdom, like, why didn't he just choose one word? Like, what is he doing? Well, if we slow down, we kind of saturate our minds on this truth for a little bit, you'll see the importance of what Paul is trying to get us to pray for one another. Because God's desire is that we would pray in this way, that we would pray for the knowledge of his will for each other. See, knowledge here, that's a word for data or facts, to know information, And there are many passages in the Bible that tell us exactly what God's will is for your life and for mine. We don't have to kind of wonder or sit there and say, well, outside of Christ, I've got to kind of figure out what his will is for my life. Like, God has so many revealed wills in his word for us if we would just be faithful to mine them. We'd be faithful to work at them. 
See, we just even saw last week that in 1 Timothy chapter 2, it says that God desires for all to be saved. Not that all will be. Some will reject him. But God desires for all to be saved. And so for you today, maybe you, you've come here, you got invited by a friend, you've not trusted in Christ, you need to understand and know, have a knowledge for his will, is that he would desire for you to trust in him today. To be forgiven of your sins and have life and life abundantly. We come to other passages like 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, where it says God desires for, for you and I to be sexually pure. God desires for that. God desires for our minds to be uh, conformed, or, or rather transformed instead of conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12 tells us that. He desires for us to think different. This is God's will for our life. And you got to understand, I have to understand this too, that God desires for you to know his will for your life far more than you want to understand his will. God doesn't want to hide his will and be like, you'll never understand the will that you're supposed to live out in your life. Like, no, God desires for you to know his will. Although we'd be faithful and, and intentional to open up his word and to read it, that we would mine out this gold of God's will for our life, that it would guide us forward. This is what God wants us to do. But we need his help, which is why we pray. We pray for other people other believers, that they would have the knowledge of his will. But it doesn't just stop with facts and with knowledge. He also says that we would have understanding. We'd have understanding. This means that we would comprehend the truth and the data and the facts. He prays that we wouldn't just know all the facts and a list about them, but that we would understand these truths and how they all fit together, that we would comprehend them. Now, a way for us to kind of understand the difference between this kind of knowledge and understanding is probably for most of us, you can go back to your days of education when you're in classes, whether that was high school or college or whatever it was. You at some point, or maybe all points, know what it's like to, to come into a classroom and to be around knowledge and not understand it, Right? That's the difference between the two. Like you come in and you're like, I know this professor has like studied and learned and has a lot of knowledge and a lot of data and a lot of facts, but I don't understand this at all, right? Like there, it's just not making it into like where I can put the pieces of the puzzle together and fit these two together. And that's what he's trying to get us to, to understand the difference between. We can know God's will and we can read it in God's word and have this knowledge of facts in our minds, but we need comprehension, right? We need help understanding how these things fit together into our lives, which is, I think, what leads him to praying for us to have wisdom. Wisdom. Wisdom is the, the street knowledge. You might have this, this knowledge up here and this comprehension, but like wisdom is like the everyday life street knowledge, how we live out the truths of God's word. And you know this because if you go and you read in the Bible, there's books that are actually called the books of wisdom where we can kind of understand things that are maybe too lofty for us, but it's brought down to our everyday life. And these books of wisdom, it talks about things very practical to our, to our everyday life. It's going to talk about how we handle money. It's going to talk about how God created sex and it's meant to be enjoyed inside of marriage. It's going to give us discernment on how to handle friendships and how to work ethically in our businesses. All of that is found in wisdom. That's what wisdom is. It's the practically living out of these facts and these understandings that are found in God's Word. You see, it's not just 
that we take the Bible, we pontificate on it in a classroom. It's not meant to do that. It's meant to change the way that we live. We don't live out the Bible by sitting at a desk. We, we live it out in the lab, right? This is an education that is meant to action, which is why he says, yeah, grow in your knowledge. Grow in the facts. Grow in your understanding of how all those facts, facts fit together, but have all spiritual wisdom to live it out practically in your life. You see, this, this prayer that we're praying for one another isn't meant to end with us, but to be practically lived out day to day. That's the whole reason why every Sunday I start and I pray the way that I pray. And that I invite you to pray alongside of me, that God would give you understanding, knowledge of his word, but then God would help you to have wisdom to live it out. And then I invite you to pray the same thing, right? It's because this is God's desire for us, that we would live out his truth. And if there's any confusion about that, Paul brings clarity in verse 10. After he said this, we pray that you would have knowledge and wisdom and understanding. Why? Verse 10, so to, that you could walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And this whole idea of walking is speaking about your daily life. That, that life is like a, like a road that you walk on. And he's praying that you understand these things, that you would live it out in your everyday life. We understand this language. We might read it quickly and not let it, you know, settle on our minds. But if we slow down, we understand what this means. Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We walk every day. Every day of our life is meant to be lived out to the glory of God. We understand this imagery. We even write songs about it, right? Tom Cochran or Rascal Flats, whichever you like, they write about this, that life is like a road that you travel on, right? It's one day here and the next day gone. Life is a highway. I want to ride it all night long. And this image of walking worthy is a call for us to live out these things. To what end? What well, tells us in verse 10? To bear fruit and increase in the knowledge. We bear fruit in our work and we increase in our knowledge. Our faith is meant to be lived out before the Lord in good works and increasing in our love of the Lord. That's what it's meant to do. But it is so easy for us, it's so tempting for us to, to completely stop with just the knowledge, just stop with the facts and puff up our minds and say, well, I know a lot of things about the Bible, so I must be good. It shouldn't stop there. It's meant to be lived out. This is what God's Word is telling us to pray for each other. That what we do when we come in here wouldn't be just a gathering of knowledge and a writing of notes, but that we would pause and examine our lives and that we would live it out faithfully in our lives. I heard um, this past week that one of the, the top-selling genres of books right now, I love to read a number of different books, try to read several uh, throughout the year, but the top-selling books right now are cookbooks. Like that genre of, of writing is the top-selling books right now, which is fascinating to me. It's not like financial or do-it-yourself books or even theological books. It's cookbooks. And the reason why that's fascinating is because I saw a stat not too long ago that, that eating out and eating at restaurants is higher than it's ever been, right? One of these things don't, don't add up, right? We've got more books telling us how to cook, and then we're cooking even less. Why? Like, what's the, what's the gap between those two? Well, it's easy to buy a book and say, here's the ingredients that I need, and this is how long I should cook it. 
But then when we start to look at our lives, we start to evaluate, like, I don't know if I have time to go to the store to buy that ingredient. I don't know if I have the ability of time to, 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 to invest in cooking things like this, right? And so we end up saying, I've got the book, but I'm good. I'm just going to go ahead and go to the restaurant. And we are just as guilty within the church of having so many books, so many Bibles or books about the Bible, and we'll read it and we'll study it and we'll have this knowledge of God's will and then stop right there and not do anything with it, not live it out, not let it impact our lives. And God is telling us here through, through Paul that we should be praying for one another in such a way that we're, we're bearing fruit and we're bearing good works. But if we're honest with ourselves... If we take time and we start reading through all of these different truths in God's Word and have knowledge of His will and, and we have understanding, what we find is it's hard to do this. This is why we need prayer. It is so hard to live this out in our lives. When we open up the Bible and we read things like, love someone who hates you. That's God's will for our lives. That's hard to do. Forgive people who have hurt us. God, that, that's difficult. <laughs> Sacrifice of ourselves for the good of others. That takes time and energy and effort. That's difficult. Be generous with our finances to give and support the ministry and the mission that is bringing the gospel forward. That's a difficult thing to do as we look at our budget, right? And so we sit there and we don't make steps forward even though we have the knowledge because we're just kind of uncomfortable. We're like, can we even do this? And that's why we have to press on in our prayer because what Paul is going to do is he's going to pray for what you and I realize our weakness is. And the third thing is we need to pray for one another's strength and gratitude. We need to pray for one another's strength and gratitude. You see, we realize we can't live out all these things. It is too much for us. It's too difficult. It's too hard. And so Paul's like, that's why I'm not ending there. My prayer doesn't stop here. My prayer turns, and I start to thank God for the strength that he supplies and the grace that he gives. That's what the, the last few verses are of this passage. We can't do it in our own ability. We can't do it in our own strength. We need Jesus Christ. See, our strength is founded in Christ. We need to pray that for each other, that our strength would rest in his ability and his strength and not on our own. If we read the Bible and we say, and there's no way I can live this out, guess what? You're right. You can't. But in his glorious power and in his might, you can. And that's what he says in here. Strength with all power according to his might. So I don't know what commands you read in the Bible or what doubts you have or what struggles you have with the Lord right now, but you need to be praying and asking that you would be strengthened by His glorious might and that you would be selfless in such a way that you think of other people. You think about people to your left and to your right right now, and you pray for them, that God would strengthen them to, to bear the the burden that they're carrying right now. They would bring before the feet of Christ and allow Him to give them the strength to endure well. We have to have our strength founded in Christ. And, and let your mind rest on verse 11. 
Let your anxieties be relieved by verse 11. It's according to His glorious might. Think about His glorious might. This is the same might that spoke the world into existence. Let that rest in your mind. This is the might that we should be praying for one another. It's the same might that took small and significant group of people in Israel and showed the world that He is Lord. This is the the same God through His glorious might that parted the Red Sea and would later walk on the Sea of Galilee. This is the same mighty God who provided for millions of people as they wandered in the wilderness in the Old Testament, and the same God who provided for food for thousands as they sit on the, board, uh, sit on the, the border of the Sea of Galilee, hungry. This is the might of God. This is the same might of God that protected men who went into a fiery furnace and weren't burnt. The same God who protected Daniel as he went into the lion's den with these hungry lions. This is the might of God. The same mighty God who looked at a man who was paralyzed and healed him. The same mighty God who looked at a man who was born blind and gives him his eyesight. The same mighty God who has defeated sin at the cross and broke the chains of death as he rose from the grave. This is the type of glorious might that we're praying for one another. Rest in that. Do you see that? Our might compared to his might? Hold that we would pray, God, strengthen us with that kind of might. Not in our own ability and energy, but yours, Lord. Would you strengthen us? May we be founded in Christ. And this will lead us to what happens in verse 12. He starts to give thanks again. He opened with thanksgiving, and now he's ending with thanksgiving, and he's thanking the Father for three things. For qualifying us, for delivering us, and transferring us. This is what we should be praying for one another, that we would be fueled, fueled to remain faithful by His grace, by His grace, because that's what all of this is in verse 12 and 13 and 14. This is all God's grace upon grace upon grace. This word for qualified here, I had read it for years and just like run right past this. But the word qualified means to be made worthy, to be made worthy. Some of us have felt unworthy for years. You've never placed your faith in Christ because you're waiting to the point that you can get to where you feel worthy enough to ask him to save you. That's not how the gospel works. The gospel comes and what it does is it makes us worthy. It qualifies us for the kingdom of light. It saves us. And it doesn't just qualify us and make us worthy. It also delivers us and redeems us. That's what 13 and 14 tell us. This is like wartime language, talking about rescue and liberation. He's delivered us. He's freed us. He's bought us back. He's ransomed us. Out of what? Our darkness of sin and the darkness of this broken world, the suffering and the pain and the despair. He's rescuing us from it. He's delivering us from from that. And Jesus is the one who's on that rescue mission. See, we were sitting here lost in our darkness, so Jesus comes to deliver us. And he says, I'll leave my kingdom of light and descend into the darkness in order to save them. They, we, were dead in our trespasses and our iniquity. So Jesus says, then I'll go and I'll die in their place. They're buried with pounds of sin and shame. And Jesus says, then bury me in their place so that they can live. This is what he does to deliver us, to redeem us. But he doesn't just deliver us, he then transfers us 
transfers us into his kingdom, verse 14 tells us. You see, Jesus didn't just rescue us and be this good king that frees us from these things and then left us as refugees. No, he invites us and welcomes us into his kingdom, the kingdom of light. This should be stirring in our hearts gratitude. And if we're, we're real, sometimes it doesn't do that, which is why we must pray for one another. We have to pray for one another to, to come back to these truths that it would stir our hearts again, that we would have a praise and worship before the Lord. All that we would pray for one another in this way, just as Paul prayed for himself and other believers in the early church. So church family, what I want us to do as we close now is I want us to take time right now and to apply this truth even in this very time. And so what we're going to do is we're going to take a few minutes. I'm going to guide us and we're going to pray these things for one another. We're going to pray these things for one another, knowing that God hears our prayers and he answers it. And so I'm going to guide us and then give you a little bit of time to pray and then guide us a little bit more and give you time to pray. And then we'll stand up and we'll sing to the one who has made us grateful for the salvation he's given us. So if you would, bow your heads with me. Lord, we are thankful that you have made a way for us to approach the throne of grace with confidence, that we can pray for one another. And so, Lord, I ask now that as we pray for these things, as we use these different points and subpoints to guide our prayers, God, that you would bring to our minds other believers that we need to be praying for. Friends and small group members that we interact and do life with, God, bring them to our mind that we would pray for them by name, that they would, would grow in their faith, grow in their wisdom, be strengthened and be grateful. And so, Lord, would you hear our prayers as we first pray. We pray for each other that we would have a faith that loves that hopes, and that multiplies. God, hear our prayers for that now. And Lord, for the one who is in this room that has never trusted in you, Lord, may this be the time they use this, this quiet, this silence, to pray and place their faith in you, that in you they find forgiveness of their sins. So Lord, may we pray for one another now, and for the one that is lost, may he pray for salvation and find it this morning. Hear our prayers right now.